Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Coverage of the conference finals here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? All right, today we're going to be doing our series preview for the Western Conference Finals between between the Lakers and the Nuggets. Also keep an eye on the feeds, either later tonight or early tomorrow morning. I'll be recording it here shortly. I'm just not sure when they're going to release it, but we'll have a, a Eastern Conference Finals preview as well, breaking down the Heat and the Celtics. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So just like we usually do, we're going to do our series notes where I just talk about uh, a couple of the background pieces of information. Then we're going to do our Chase 3 points segment where we go over the three biggest matchups that I'm looking at in this particular series. At the end of that, I'll go over a couple quick hitters. I'll pick who I think is going to win and make the case for the other team. So, the Nuggets right now are a minus 165 favorite. That's not insubstantial. Um, so, Vegas clearly views them as the slightly better team. The season series was 2-2. Two to two. The home team won every single game. And all four games were January 9th or earlier. So, none of the trade deadline pieces involved. Uh, the games that the Lakers beat the Nuggets, um, one in particular, Anthony Davis was out. They went small. They were running up and down the floor crazy in transition. Uh, the other one they won with Anthony Davis was also a great transition effort because they had lost a game early in the season with bad transition defense. 
Hard to sift through that too much because that sort of thing plays a much bigger role in the regular season than it does in the postseason. But I'm going to try to zoom in on some specific matchups to try to get a better feel for where I see this series going. The Nuggets do have home court advantage, which is significant. The uh, Denver home court advantage is statistically more impactful than any other home court advantage in the NBA. That's been proven over many, many years. Um, and they're playing every other day now, which is, uh, I think, an advantage to Denver in particular, just with the wear and tear on LeBron James and Anthony Davis, especially since their size won't be an issue. I thought the Lakers actually wore down the Warriors um, despite their age, but I think a big part of that was down the roster, the Warriors were giving up physical advantages, and you have to make up for a lack of size by playing harder, and it's just really difficult to do that every other night. All right, so... These are our chase three points. Number one, can Nikola Jokic force the Lakers to consistently send multiple defenders towards him in the Anthony Davis matchup? So the two most common play types logged by Nikola Jokic so far in this postseason are, as you could probably guess, pick and roll roll man possessions and post-ups. Post-ups are actually number one and, and pick and roll roll man possessions are number two. Anthony Davis is the best defensive player in the world. And we all saw just the latest example of that against the Golden State Warriors in the last round as after Steph Curry ripped through the entire league last year in the postseason and then ripped through um, the Sacramento Kings in round one, he had his least efficient playoff series since the 2019 second round series against the Houston Rockets. So for all the Nuggets fans out there talking about how great Jokic is and how great the, the Nuggets uh, offense is, I agree with you guys about those things. But guess what? If there's one guy that you could say is probably a better offensive engine than Nikola Jokic, if there's one guy, it's Steph Curry. And if you think Jokic is number one, the guy you're saying number two is Steph Curry, and there certainly isn't much of a gap there. Everything that you're thinking about Jokic and the way he can warp a defense and the problems he can cause for teams, the same could be said for Steph Curry, and the Lakers held him to his least efficient series since 2019 and held the Warriors significantly below their regular season offensive rating, had six halves, I believe, where they held them under 50 points and a half. It was a dominant defensive effort. So we are we have to at least consider the possibility that Anthony Davis could have a similar impact on this Denver Nuggets team. Now, uh, this Denver Nuggets team does have, I believe, more aggregate offensive talent than the Warriors. That goes without saying. So I would absolutely say that this is a better offense overall than the Warriors. So it'll definitely be a challenge, but this will also be the weakest defense that the Lakers have faced so far in this postseason after facing the defensive player of the year and the third-ranked uh, third defense during the regular season in the Memphis Grizzlies. And a Warriors defense that wasn't as good as they were last year statistically, but had the same core players that they had when they were the number two ranked defense and won the championship last year with Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins and Gary Payton II. And despite all of that, they still finished ahead of the Denver Nuggets in regular season defensive rating. So there's no doubt that strictly from the standpoint of defensive personnel, the Lakers are facing an easier matchup than they face in a long time, which makes it difficult to predict, but we're going to do the best that we can. So as we zoom in on the 
the post-up possessions and the pick-and-roll possessions. To me, it comes down to can the Lakers consistently play those actions two-on-two or one-on-one? So in the post, can Anthony Davis guard Jokic without too much help? It's one thing to you know kind of gap down and, 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 uh, and kind of stunt at the basketball. It's another thing to hard double, right? If Anthony Davis can get away with never having to hard double on the Jokic post-ups, that means they can guard it one-on-one in pick-and-roll. You can have your shell drill and guys can be ready to help when they need to, but if you can guard the Denver Nuggets two-on-two two and pick and roll, that goes a long way towards your ability to stop them. Why? Because as you go down the roster, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, those guys, Jeff Green, those are all guys that's pretty much the that plus Jamal Murray is basically the rotation that they shrunk down to there uh, over the course of the Sun Series. All of those guys are guys that are capable of making plays against closeout situations, right? So when the defense is already warped, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is the best spot-up player in the league this year. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I've said before, is one of my favorite role-player two-guards in the entire NBA. Loved rooting for that dude when he was a Laker. Christian Brown and his athleticism and transition, and he can make plays cutting out of the weak side corner, occasionally knock down a corner three. Bruce Brown can run pick and roll, run dribble handoffs. He can get out and transition. Jeff Green, obviously, has been a solid role player in the NBA playoffs for a half decade now. All those guys are great, but in a set defense situation, they're not guys that are going to consistently beat you attacking like set defenders with help behind. Like They need advantage situations. So everything comes down to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and their ability to guard uh, bring in multiple defenders. Jamal Murray is an excellent player. And he's going to do some mismatch hunting against Lakers guards. He was doing that a lot against Landry Shamit in the last round. You're going to see him try to pick on Austin Reeves and try to pick on D'Angelo Russell and try to pick on Dennis Schroeder. They'll clear the side and just let him post up on the block by himself. He's going to do some of that. And he's going to knock down some pull-up jump shots in the dribble handoff and pick-and-roll situations with Nikola Jokic. There's no doubt that there's going to be a good percentage of that in this series. The difference is, though, is that that's not the type of player that's going to monumentally dominate and change the geometry of the series in terms of the tactics the way that a Steph Curry does. He's just not that level of player. And I would imagine that Darvin Ham and his scouting reports are like, hey, obviously the Suns guards aren't as good as us defensively. Uh, he lit them up. If we can hold him to a 25-point-per-game average in the series on 20 shots per game, 22 shots per game, where his efficiency isn't quite where it needs to be, I think that the Lakers would be happy with that, especially if they can guard those actions two-on-two and not have to overhelp on the weak side. I think their biggest concern is giving up the wide-open shit to guys like Michael Porter Jr. and things along those lines. So, again, down the roster, there is talent there, and it's a really good fit, but fundamentally it depends on Nikola Jokic and his ability to warp the defense. So, if Anthony Davis, as a pick-and-roll, an inverted pick-and-roll defender, can protect the rim and not concede too much pull-up jump shooting, and in isolation or post-up situations, if he can contain Jokic on an island, that goes a long way to giving the Lakers an advantage down the roster. Um, especially as we go down the roster for the Lakers roster and you're getting LeBron James and Austin Reeves, right? Like you're, you're actually getting higher level players from the Lakers down the roster again. And we'll, this will be a theme as we get to our predictions, but the, if Denver wants to win, Nikola Jokic needs to soundly outplay Anthony Davis, which is certainly on the table, but Steph freaking Curry, the defending finals MVP just got outplayed by Anthony Davis based on what he could do on the defensive end of the floor. So don't sleep on Anthony Davis's ability to win that matchup. He is capable. Um, let's start at the post for starters. 
So, um, Nikola Jokic does have the ability to dislodge Anthony Davis. He's got a high center of gravity. Uh, when I went back and watched all the post-up possessions, and there aren't a ton of them, but when I went back and watched all the post-up possessions with Jokic on AD this year, he did do a decent job of bumping him to his, uh, getting to his spots and bumping him off of his base and making those little hook shots and floaters and things with the, in the lane. But Anthony Davis did, on a handful of possessions, bother him with his length. Uh, foul trouble in particular is going to be a big factor in this series. Dwight Howard in 2020 spent a good portion of the series guarding Nikola Jokic. So they got to split fouls. Jokic could be, or uh, uh, Dwight could be super aggressive. He could pick up three, four fouls a game, and it was all just kind of part of the game plan to try to frustrate Jokic. That's not a factor anymore. There's not a soul on the Lakers roster that has a hope in hell of guarding Nikola Jokic except for Anthony Davis. So it's important. But that same factor plays the other way. The Lakers are one of the very best teams in the league at drawing fouls. Now, I will say Denver is much better at defending without fouling than Golden State was. So I don't expect to see the same type of free throw disparity that we did in the Golden State series, but the Lakers are good at drawing fouls. So foul trouble for Nikola Jokic, foul trouble for Anthony Davis, those are going to be big factors in this series. That said, it with AD post-up defense against Jokic, I think that favors Denver early in the series, but it'll favor uh, LA later in the series. I think that AD is too smart and too physically gifted not to eventually figure out a way to slow down Jokic in the post. But don't be surprised if early in the series when AD doesn't quite have a feel for him yet, if Jokic has a lot of success in the post. Looking at pick and roll, it's a similar concept to what they were doing to the Warriors, right? Like you're going to try to chase over the top of the screens with AD in some kind of drop coverage. He probably won't be as high up as they were against the Warriors because they were more con- they were more willing to give up role man possessions to the Warriors than they will be to Jokic because Jokic is, in my opinion, the best role man in the league and shoots 70% and all those stupid push shots and floaters on the short roll, right? So my guess is it's going to be a deeper drop, which means it's going to be higher uh, a higher responsibility on the guards for the Lakers to chase over the top of those screens, which they did a decent job of in the last round. And most importantly, trying to contain Clay Thompson and Steph Curry coming over the top of those screens is a different type of challenge than uh, Jamal Murray and KCP. Jamal Murray's a great pull-up jump shooter, but just not in the same stratosphere as Steph Curry. And KCP is a different type of player than Clay Thompson. So it's it's definitely going to be a different type of coverage, but it's going to be the same concept. Anthony Davis trying to dissuade those pull-up jump shots as best as he can while staying back to protect the rim, namely because of Jokic on the roll and the guards chasing over the top of the screen. The other thing you saw in 2020 is at one point late in the series in game four, they ended up putting LeBron on Jamal Murray and Anthony Davis on Nikola Jokic so they could switch the Murray-Jokic pick and roll. And Denver ended up countering that by just trying to ISO LeBron with Jamal Murray. And some of you guys might remember LeBron blocking uh, Jamal Murray a couple times and forcing a couple misses at the rim in that game four win. So LeBron, again, he's going to be older now and not as mobile, but he's had a really good defensive postseason, especially when he's been engaged. So that might be another wrinkle the Lakers could go to is just put LeBron on Jamal Murray, switch the Jokic-Murray pick and roll. Now, who's going to win that matchup? That's going to be the dynamic of the series, in my opinion. If the Nuggets are playing two on three in pick and roll and one on two in post-up situations, too many high quality shots from too good of a passer in Jokic on the back end, they're going to get picked apart. If Jokic and Murray can be contained two on two by the Lakers in one on one in the post in the Jokic AD matchup. I think they're going to be able to slow down the Nuggets offense enough for them to succeed on the other end. That to me is the dynamic of the series, and whoever wins that specific matchup has by far the best chance to win the series. Number two, can LeBron James pick apart the Nuggets in pick and roll? So I talked about this a little bit with Colin Coward yesterday. 
But the big difference in this series for the Lakers compared to the previous two rounds are the defensive matchups, right? I actually think Aaron Gordon is a better matchup for LeBron than either of the last two guys that LeBron faced consistently. So he was seeing a lot of Dylan Brooks and Xavier Tillman in the first round. And Xavier Tillman was big enough, but he wasn't fast enough. And LeBron ended up beating him off the dribble when he needed to, namely at the end of game four, right? And then Dylan Brooks, he could just post him up or bully him whenever he absolutely needed to in that series. But Dylan Brooks was a very good a switchable wing defender and Jaron Jackson on Anthony Davis, they could just switch that action. So the LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll was kind of useless in that round. And as a result, they had to, to attack switches, which really baits LeBron and Anthony Davis into their worst tendencies, which is to settle for jump shots and to not apply enough rim pressure, right? Same dynamic against the Warriors with Draymond Green on Anthony Davis and Andrew Wiggins on LeBron James. They're switching the LeBron AD pick and roll most of the time. And as a result, you lose that advantage. Now it's the same thing. Stagnation, got to try to generate offense against their switches or hell, just give the ball to the guards and see if they can do it since the Warriors were running drop coverage against the Laker guards. But that dynamic is going to be completely different in this series. Even though Aaron Gordon is a much better matchup for LeBron James, uh, just because he's bigger and stronger than uh, Wiggins and, and Dylan Brooks are, so he can hold up a little bit better in the post. That's all good, and I think that bodes well for Denver in the series in isolation situations and in post-up situations. But in pick and roll in particular, I think that the the, the Nuggets are going to be in some trouble on a couple of different fronts. So, And this is why I'm considering this the LeBron James series on the offensive end of the floor. So, on film, what I noticed in the footage at the beginning of the year. Now, it's important to note that they were this was before the deadline. So it's a lot of Patrick Beverly on the weak side. It's a lot of Troy Brown Jr. on the weak side. It's a lot of Kendrick Nunn back when he couldn't make a damn shot. And so the Nuggets were really loading up. But it was very similar to the Phoenix Suns coverage. It was kind of Jokic in a high drop up near the level of the screen. Aaron Gordon chasing over the top. And almost all three other defenders have a foot in the paint, except for maybe in the strong side corner, right? And so those skip passes are open. It's very similar to what they did to Phoenix. And I thought, uh, I was talking with Matt Moore uh, this morning, actually. Uh, I've go to his Twitter feed. And I'm sure he'll have the link because we got pretty deep into this series. He's a big guy who covers the Nuggets, big uh, Nuggets optimist. And, and he, I was asking him, I was like, do you think that Phoenix left some meat on the bone as it pertains to the, the Nuggets pick and roll coverage with how hard they were loading up? And he said, yes, he was like Devin Booker and, and Kevin Durant too frequently missed the skip pass to the weak side corner. Guess what? That's the best thing that LeBron does in pick and roll is make those skip passes on the dime because he's one of the better jump passers in the league, throws everything on a rope in on time, on target, in the shooting pocket. And those are going to be, that's going to be a lot of. Austin Reeves on the weak side. He's shooting 44% on catch-and-shoot threes in this postseason run. D'Angelo Russell on the weak side. He's shooting 39% on catch-and-shoot threes in this postseason run. Rui Hachimura on the weak side. 53% on catch-and-shoot threes in this postseason run. Lonnie Walker on the weak side. 38% on catch-and-shoot threes in this postseason run. So there's going to be much more dependable weak side shooters than what they had during the regular season. And that coverage is going to leave some openings for LeBron. What I like about it the most for LeBron's sake is it... uh, implicates his brain more than it does his body. So when they're switching pick and roll, LeBron has to bully smaller defenders, right? Whereas if in, in a drop coverage, he's getting downhill by the vert, by virtue of the coverage. All he has to do is set Aaron Gordon up for the screen, then Aaron Gordon's behind him. So now he's going downhill naturally as part of the coverage, which puts the onus on his brain to make the necessary reads, as opposed to in a switching coverage, the onus is on his body. And so a lot of times LeBron would get really passive for long stretches offensively over the last two series, in large part because he's just trying to conserve his energy. He can actually conserve his energy as a playmaker in high pick and roll against the Nuggets. I think that's a significant advantage. Another thing I think you'll see a lot of 
is what LeBron did towards the end of the Warriors series, which is picking on the smaller Nuggets players in pick and roll. So instead of the LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll, what if it's trying to target Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown, and Christian Brown in switches, just like he did down the stretch to Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins even in straight isos, or straight post-ups. But LeBron would sit at the top of the key, call the defender that he wants into the action, say it's Steph Curry and Lonnie Walker's on him, right? So Lonnie Walker's going to set like a ghost screen, basically, and and uh, funnel off to the left side on the wing. And Steph is going to try to hedge and recover, or he might end up having to switch onto LeBron. And LeBron, what he would do is just hard kind of take a banana driving route along the right side of the floor around the hedge, and either he would get downhill because the hedger would allow LeBron to kind of turn the corner, or he would get the switch that he wanted. And if he got the switch that he wanted, once he kind of took that banana route, he would turn, and then he would start posting up, right? And then he would start trying to bully that smaller defender to whatever spot he needed to do. And, like, again, he does, that one's really energy-consuming for LeBron, so it's more of a late-series thing or a late-game thing. But LeBron, LeBron attacked Moses Moody. LeBron attacked Dante DiVincenzo. He attacked Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole. Like, he was relentless attacking the Warriors' smaller defenders towards the end of that series. Don't be surprised if you see a lot of that against the Denver Nuggets to try to uh, uh, take advantage of his size there over the course of the series. Um, number three, who will win the battle of the bench? So both teams lack a backup center. And this in particular is very interesting to me because over the course of this postseason, LeBron's plus minus numbers have not been very good. And a big part of that, or his on off numbers, I should say. And a big part of that is because the Lakers don't have a backup center. And one of the things that Taylor Jenkins did with the Memphis Grizzlies is he staggered, he flipped Jaron Jackson's rotation. Jaron Jackson during the regular season was on Anthony Davis's rotation. He switched it up because Darvin Ham wasn't switching his rotation to make sure Jaron Jackson was on the floor for all of the Laker bench group minutes. And they really struggled with that. Like that Laker bench group really struggled with Jaron Jackson at center, keeping him off the glass and keeping him away from the rim. In like four of the six games, there were a couple games where the Lakers held up okay, but for the most part, they struggled in that group. Same thing for the Warriors. Kevon Looney's out there and just destroying Rui Hachimura on the glass. They couldn't get a damn uh, defensive rebound to save their lives. Excuse me. Um, so that bench group has been an issue for the Lakers throughout the postseason. Well, Denver also has a similar issue with their bench group. They don't have a backup center. They don't have enough shot creation or defense in that lineup. That is a big advantage to LeBron, in my opinion. In, main, in large part, just because LeBron James could not impact winning enough with the size disadvantage in those groups, he's going to be by far the best player on the floor in these bench groups without having to worry about the physical mismatches. Um, Rui Hachimura is going to be able to hang just fine in that group as a kind of a small ball five defensive rebounder type compared to the way he did against Kevon Looney and Jaron Jackson. So I actually really like the bench matchup for the Lakers in this series after it was a problem in the previous two rounds. Uh, a couple of quick hitters, uh, guard play. Can Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Jamal Murray outplay Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell? Um, who's going to provide better shot-making in defense, right? Now, I, I give this a slight advantage to Denver because Jamal Murray's the best player in that group, but it's a little bit more tricky than that because LeBron James is kind of more of a comp to uh, Murray as that secondary star. But it's strictly looking at guard play. Big sign for the Lakers would be if Schroeder, Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell can play to a stalemate with Murray, KCP, and Brown. Um, can, can the Lakers play their forwards? This is a big one. So Rui, uh, Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt both kind of exited the rotation, not entirely, but their roles got shrunk in the Warriors series. Why? 
too much helping off Jared Vanderbilt was screwing up their offense. And on the offense, or on the defensive end of the floor, Rui Hachimura was struggling with screen navigation. And Denver in particular, um, and this is, a, I talk about this a lot on the show, but lock and trailing is a lot about low center of gravity and avoiding screens, right? And Rui's just got a high center of gravity. He's easy to set screens on. So it can be an issue for him. Um, this series is going to have some similar stuff. Michael Porter Jr. runs a lot of off-screen action. Contavious Caldwell-Pope runs a lot of off-screen action. If Rui ends up in one of those matchups, he could be in a situation where um, where he could struggle. I think Rui's going to have to play when LeBron's off the floor so he can guard Aaron Gordon uh, as much as possible or Jeff Green, someone like that, so he can kind of be more in a help situation and be around the rim as a defender, rim protector, and and, and defensive rebounder. Uh, but the Lakers need their, their forwards to be an effective defensive rebounding team. You saw that a lot against the Warriors where they ended up going small and then they gave up 12 offensive rebounds in the first half because you've got three guards on the floor and LeBron James and Anthony Davis have to do so much physically to overcome that. So can the Lakers forwards play big minutes? That's going to be another one. Last but not least, transition. Um, I mentioned this at the start of the show, but Jokic knows how to punish AD when he's lazy. He sees when he's on the floor, he sees when he's bitching at the refs, and he sprints and tries to get a cross match and a quick post seal. Um, he also can beat the Lakers in transition with outlet passes. So um, bigs running the floor, particularly AD, that's going to be a big one in this series as well. My three points were brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Earn 5% on travel, purchase, or chase. 3% on dining, including takeout, 3% on drugstores, and 1.5% on everything else. How do you cash back? So, my prediction, I'm picking the Lakers in six games. I think Anthony Davis will significantly hamper Denver's defense, just like he did every other offense he's faced in this postseason. Um, Golden State was a top 10 offense in the regular season. They had a 115.1 offensive rating in the regular season. The Lakers held them to 110.2. The Grizzlies were 11th in offense. They had a 114.7 offensive rating in the regular season. The Lakers held them to 102.8. So utterly stifled their offense. Again, this is the better offense than either of the two they faced. But just like I said with Steph Curry, you'd be foolish to think that Anthony Davis can't have a similar impact on Jokic, at least to some extent. I also think this will be by far the easiest defensive matchup the Lakers have faced so far in the postseason. Uh, Memphis was the number three regular season defense. We talked about uh, all defense defender on LeBron and Dylan Brooks, and then the defensive player of the year guarding Anthony Davis. Golden State, you've got the best defensive player of this era in Draymond Green guarding Anthony Davis, and you've got uh, Andrew Wiggins, who I said after last year's postseason might be the best perimeter defender in basketball guarding LeBron James. Um, and they just have better personnel, right? Both of those teams just have better defensive personnel than what Denver brings to the table. That puts a lot of onus on LeBron James to be the offensive maestro that he's capable of being, and I think he's got to dominate that end of the floor. To me, it's LeBron's series offensively. It's Anthony Davis's series defensively. If Nikola Jokic can defend well enough to slow down LeBron on offense— And if he can punish Anthony Davis enough on the other end of the floor, I think the Nuggets can win. But I believe the Lakers will win those matchups, at least to some extent. So I am picking the Lakers in six. Denver's path to victory is pretty simple. Jokic has to dominate AD. If he does, enforces consistent help uh, or gets Anthony Davis in foul trouble, I think this could be over quick. As a matter of fact, if Denver wins this series, I think it'd be in five games. I think they would uh, win games one and two, be 2-0, steal one in uh, L.A., to make it 3-1 and then close out the series in five. So picking the Lakers in six, wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Denver won. I have a ton of, uh, of respect for those guys, but I'm riding with the Lakers right now. I think they're a much better defensive team, and I think they're capable of picking apart this Nuggets team enough to advance. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. We'll be back, we will be back shortly with our Eastern Conference Finals.
the volume. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.